turn to the book of Luke chapter 18 today. And I want to tell you, I am so honored that uh, you're here today. I, I really am impressed with the crowd. And uh, I'd like to thank you for purchasing that land for that young man down in Nicaragua. Uh, I think Brother Andrew's going to go down there this next year if he can con Lanny into going with him. And uh, some other guys, I think, going down there. But uh, we gave them uh, a check for $6,500 Wednesday night to buy that land and start his building to God be the glory. And if uh, the reason that van is parked out front, the battery's dead and we can't start it. <laughs> but that is the van that we were going to buy out of the Prove Your Love Sunday. And uh, we went and bought it and paid cash and it belongs to us. And, and uh, I think Andrew signed the contract for doing the new lights in the parking lot so that uh, you folk and us don't fall over things. I didn't think it's so bad till I started stumbling. And after I failed three times in the parking lot, I thought we ought to get lights out there. And uh, so that is underway. And we're also going to pay on our debt uh, for our building. We're going to pay another uh, six months on that on the back side, plus on the front side. So to God be the glory. Great things he's done. By us paying one dollar on the back side of our note, Every $1 we spend, we save $5 in interest. Amen. And as of thus far, I think we've bought, we've paid off like five years on the backside of our bonds. And to God be the glory. And that's what we're doing for God. I'm glad of that. Amen. Amen. Somebody said, what are you going to do with that big offering? Now listen, spend it. It. it don't win souls in the bank drawing interest. It don't point people to Christ down to the bank drawing interest. And so God be the glory. The book of Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray. And not to faint. Men ought always to pray. Prayer is not only a privilege. It's an obligation. Men ought always to pray. We must be careful not to get too busy to pray. We must be cautious not to become so apathetic that we do not pray. The best thing, Daddy, you can do for your kids is to pray for them. I'm not talking about now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I don't mean the Lord's prayer. You'll get that after a while. I mean fervently. Tenaciously pray for your kids. Amen. 
And he said he spake this parable unto them, saying, men ought always to pray. And then he gives us the parable. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because of this widow's troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. God is telling us in this parable how tenaciously and how important prayer is. Verse, verse number seven, and, or verse number six. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge his own elect or his children, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I'd like to ask you a question today. Why should I pray? Why should you pray? We're living in dark days. Just look around and you will see. Get your head out of the proverbial sand, proverbial sand if you please. Quit acting like an ostrich. And you will see that we're living in dark days. Dark days physically. You can't hardly get a room in a hospital. They're filled to capacity because we're dying every day physically. You say, I'm not. Wait till you're 79 and you'll back out. Every day you live physically. You're getting one more step closer, one breath closer to the mortuary, the graveyard. And we are in a mess physically in America. Most of us take more pills than we have change in our pocket. I went to the doctor this week and he asked me what was wrong. I told him, I said, well, he said, here's your prescription. It'll fix it. Well, now I can't see nor drive, but it's going to fix it. I make a lot of visits to uh, the little room at the house, but it's going to fix it. You see what I'm talking about? I can't see, I can't speak straight, I can't walk. The only way I take a bath anymore is I just cover myself with soap and walk down the hall of our church, and I am clean when I get to the end because I've hit every wall down through there. We are in a mess physically. 
and the doctor ain't fixing it. A pill just puts it on down the road another day. What are you going to do about it? We're in a dire mess physically. We're in a mess mentally. We're in the age of Smutsville, USA. We can't watch anything on television, hear anything on radio, or watch our telephone without smut hits us in the face. Something dirty, something R-rated. We are living in a world and a culture and society that is a mess physically and mentally. Emotionally, we are a mess. We can drive down the highway 60 miles an hour and bounce a pill off a telephone bowl, catch it on the way by because we've got to have a pill to get up by, a pill to stay up by, and a pill to go to sleep by. Amen. Somehow or another, I don't think God means it to be that way. We are living in dark days, if you please, a age of smut. Spiritually, we're living in a dark day. We have substitute, substituted good for godly. Well, he's a good man. God's not satisfied with a good man. God is only satisfied with a godly man. And in our world and in our culture, we have substituted spiritually being good for being godly. God means more and wants more from us than just a good credit report. Amen. God wants more from us, that is, than just taking the bread home to the kids. He wants us to be godly men and godly men that will teach young men how to be godly. And you can't find that in America hardly anywhere. Amen. We're living in dark days. You say, preacher, I came to church to be encouraged. Next week, I'm preaching on the joy of God's salvation. Because when I get through today, you'll want some joy. <laughs> Living in the dark days, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and morally. Dark days. Could I ask you something? In America, do we need another president and more politics? Are more praying and a lot more preaching. What do you think is going to fix this deal? We're in a mess morally. I mean, we have no morals in America anymore. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. Sex trafficking is running rapid in America. I guess you saw yesterday that the Super Bowl winner got caught in a prostitute joint down in Florida. Soliciting prostitution. A guy with all that money goes to a whorehouse. <laughs> I'm glad he's got enough sense to buy a football team. He ain't got enough to stay out of a whorehouse. You say, don't call the whorehouse. Well, I don't know how to spell prostitute. We're living, we, we have a mess. 
We're living in dark days and we act as though everything's all right. Can you imagine women and children being slaves and sex trafficked? See, the women where he got caught was not allowed to leave. And the miners that were there was not allowed to leave. They're slaves owned by the rich forced to sell their bodies, forced to be abused. But if you've got enough money in America, that's all right. We're living dark days. We act as though there's, everything's all right. Living in dark days, bless your heart. You know, a law that permits abortion at any time during the pregnancy or for any reason. They just voted on it in, I think, Rhode Island. Infanticide. If mama, don't deserve, if mama decides she don't want the baby laying there on the table, then now all the doctor has to do is kill the baby. It's infanticide. That's murder. It don't bother any of us. My question is, how are we going to change it? With the corruption in politics? When the guilty has not been prosecuted and the guilty is not going to be prosecuted? And you and I get a ticket going through Joshua. They throw us in jail and promise to kill our dogs and cats if we don't pay them. We're living in dark days. Dark days when you can kill, take an innocent life and sniff it out under the law, under health pretenses. God knows we're, we're, we're hurting spiritually and morally in America. And I ask you, why should I pray? What's going to change it? When teenage girls are so confused by group pressure that they question their gender and behind mama's daddy's back they're encouraged to take drugs and hormones because in adolescence they're questioning some things and group pressure down at the school and teachers and administrators and doctors has encouraged them to have a sex change. Well, they didn't have 10 sex changes, but they're still what they were when they were born. Society is looking at the face of God and said, you made a mistake, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Amen? And our little kids, you say, well, my kids don't have that problem. Well, if you'd slow down long enough, Talk to your kids and listen to your kids. You might be surprised what they're being encouraged to do down school because you're more popular now if you're transgender. Huh? I put a Chevrolet motor in a Ford truck. But still registered a Ford. I got a 350 Chevrolet in that Ford truck. 
Does that make it a Chevrolet? I don't care what equipment you take off or what equipment you put in. You're still what you were when you came in. And somebody needs to help our kids. And somebody needs to help our parents. And somebody needs to stand up for what's right. Well, my question is, honestly, is our hope in Trump or Jesus? What's going to change the culture back to right and determining what's right and what's wrong? What's going to change the picture from gray to black and white again? Trump has tried, but the bureaucrats won't let him. I vote. My vote's not going to change the FBI or the judicial system. My vote's not going to change uh, the Ninth Court. But let me tell you something that might. God might. And God will. Preacher, why pray? Because I like to see things changed. I'd like to see little confused teenagers be unconfused again. Amen? Amen. I'd like uh, to see a change in America morally, physically, spiritually, sexually. Social diseases is up 25% in Dallas. Say, what's that have to do with me? Well, Dallas will probably be in Fort Worth soon. We're in a mess and we're living in dark days. Let me give you this. Men ought always to pray. Can you say amen? I think the answer to the dilemma, the answer to all of our problems, the answer lies in prayer. You say, well, preacher, I said a prayer this morning. Hey, Jesus said that ain't going to get it. If you want your prayers answered, you've got to keep knocking. You've got to keep seeking. You've got to keep praying. You've got to keep asking. You need to become an absolute menace to God when it comes to prayer. And he said, if you'll become a menace, if you'll keep knocking and you'll keep asking and you'll keep seeking and you keep yelling and you keep screaming, I will avenge you quickly. That's what God said. So I'm going to start praying to God, straighten Ginger out. (laughs) Oh, she don't pray to God, start straightening me out. Why should we pray? Have you ever noticed that we're living in a, in a why generation? You tell your kid to do something, he says, why? I said, that's why, right there. <laughs> said, would you hit him? Hard. <laughs> you know, I don't ever remember, honest, I'm 79 
looking at a hundred. I don't ever remember asking my daddy why. Somehow or another, I don't think I would like the consequences of that little question. You know, I don't ever remember asking an employer who's paying me for doing nothing every time he turns his head. I don't remember asking an employer why. I don't ever remember asking a teacher in school why. But we're living in a why generation. Everybody wants to know why. Why should I pray? Why should you pray? Let me give you the first phenomenal earth-shaking answer. You ready? Because God said so. You say, well, I don't need to pray. How's it going? (laughs) How's the relationship with each other? I don't need to pray. How's the kids doing? Are they 12 and 13 yet? I don't need to pray. How's the job going? I don't need to pray. Sure you need to pray. Why? Because God said you need to pray. And he knows better than all of us that we need continual communion with our Heavenly Father. He commands us to pray. The Bible said men ought always To pray, every man, all the men and the women and the kids, every man, everywhere, all the time need to pray. First Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. I do that now because I've quit driving and Ginger's been driving me around. I used to complain. I said, honey, didn't you see that bump? She said, how can I go in 95? I said, honey, don't go around the curve so fast. Shut up, I'm driving. That's Wolfenbarger's spirituality number one. And now that I'm riding and not driving, I've learned how to pray. does a whole lot more good than talking to my wife about how she's driving. When we went to see the Niagara Falls, somebody said, what do you think about the Niagara Falls? I said, that's a lot of water going nowhere to me. Somebody said, did you ride the boat? I didn't want to tell them. She barely got me to the falls, alone on a boat. We pull into a service station, or no, a, a room, a hotel where we'd stopped, somewhere in New York, Pennsylvania, or somewhere. And the car began to miss. The engine began to miss. And of course, I got scared. And I said, honey, your car's missing. She said, oh yeah, it started about two or three weeks ago. <laughs> I thought to myself, 
Wouldn't it have been easier to fix in Fort Worth and Joshua before we went 10,000 miles with a smile on her face? She said, oh yes, it started two or three weeks ago. That's when you pray. You pray that the car don't break down. Then you pray that you act right while you're working on the dumb car. I've learned to pray. Why should we pray? Now listen, don't you miss this first, first tremendous point. Because God said to pray. Amen. I never asked my daddy why. Because daddy knew best. And my heavenly father does not suggest he commands us to pray. Since he has done so much for us at Calvary to initiate an intimate relationship that can only be explained by the word of God. Since he's done so much for us, for us to become one of his children, he expects his children to communicate. Daddy, thank you for being so good to me. Daddy, you're the greatest father I could ever have. Father, thank you for my kids. Father, thank you for my health. Why should we pray? Because our Heavenly Father told us to pray. One time I had a severe issue in my life. 25, 26 years old. My father finished, high, finished the eighth grade and then he joined their service during World War II. And he was a wise man. Not an educated man, but probably the smartest man I know. I sure wish I had a Spent a lot more time with him now that he's gone. Had a tremendous heartfelt problem, and I didn't know how to handle it. And I went to my daddy, and I explained all the details, expecting my daddy to tell me what to do. And my father looked at me and said, Son, there's nothing in this world I would not do for you. But he said, son, there's just some things a man's got to handle by himself and I'm afraid this is one of them. Have you been to your heavenly father lately and asked him what you should do? He may tell you, but he may say, this is something you need to straighten out yourself. Amen, preacher. Why should I pray? Because my Heavenly Father told me to pray. And if you have a Heavenly Father, He has told you to pray. I wonder how many issues could have been averted 
if somebody had been praying. I wonder how many divorces could have been avoided if somebody had been praying. I wonder how many hurt feelings and scars emotionally have been placed on the hearts of individuals could have been averted if somebody had been praying. Somebody comes to me and said, well, I think I picked a good one this time. If you'd been praying, you might have picked a good one the first time. Well, my kids are brats. Well, you need to kill them or pray for them. And if you'd ask the kids, I think all of them would say they prefer that you pray for them. If you ask your heavenly father, he would probably say, men ought always to pray. A white generation is always asking why. Why should I pray? God told me to. And by the way, that's the way God has chosen to give us things. <laughs> Is that good? Is there anybody here like things? Do you understand layaway? A little girl went to the store with her mother. And the little girl picked something out. And the lady wrapped it up so nicely and said, I think I'm just going to give you that today. You don't have to do anything. And so she picked something else out. The lady wrapped it. She walked off. And mother said, say, what are you supposed to say to the nice lady? She said, charge it. Would you have charged it if you had prayed? How many heartaches and hurts could have been avoided if only we had prayed? Amen. We pray because God has chosen that avenue by which we get things. Now, the world, I've got two or three minutes and I'll be done. You say, why? Because I spent a lot of praying and a lot of time studying, so I don't have too much to say. Unbelievers expect to get by, by this avenue, working, planning, scheming, and oh, by the way, accidents. Everything we got, we work for it, we scheme for it. We connive for it, but God has another plan. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open. See, when you get saved, you move out of the culture of work, get, keep, save, Hoard, you move out of that culture into a culture where it says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, 
running over shall men give to your bosom. Why should I pray? Because that's God's avenue by which he's to give me things. And I like things. Does anybody like things? Shall we go to the parking lot and see if there's a car without power windows? Most of our kids could not drive a vehicle that we were very proud of. Hmm? Can you imagine having to roll up a window? (laughs) You go to the car dealership and they said, let me show you all the things. Things that's going to tear up that nobody knows how to fix. Decisions everywhere. Amen? I am so full of making decisions. It's frightening, if you please. Can you imagine, if you please, going to buy a car when there's only two colors, black and white? Going to the drugstore buying ice cream, and they say, what flavor? Chocolate or vanilla? Anybody remember those days? Can you imagine? We're drowning in choices. Think about it. Pick a scent. Bathroom scent, pine forest, or day at the gym. We're dying in choices, are we not? How about pick a seat? First class, economy, coach, business, folding chair, or holding on to the wing. (laughs) We're dying with choices. We just, bless your heart, we're just suffering from Jesus. Let's go pick a diet. Steak. Yes, I want a steak. Well, you want it rare, medium rare, medium, well done, burnt, or beyond recognition. Huh? Well, I want a salad too. Well, what kind of dressing do you want? Thousand Oaks, Thousand Island, vanilla, oil, Roquefort, blue cheese, or house, or nothing. Well, we need a potato. Oh, you French fried, home fried, baked, chives, sour cream, bacon bits. Dear God, we're dying making choices. We're confused as a grasshopper sitting in the middle of a freeway with his hopper broken. We don't know which way to jump. Why should we pray? Because God knows what we need. And God knows our wants are way out of bounds. Why should we pray? Because that is God's plan by which he gives us things. And God commanded us to pray. Now I'm done. You say, why are you done? Because I'm running out of notes. How many of you here Wednesday night when I lost my notes? <laughs> Opened my Bible, started to preach, and they were gone. So I was going to take a one-hour sermon and make a five-minute ditto out of it, and we were going to go home. 
And the guy's on the, on the bench here on these, my right and left arms. Got Brian on the back seat and told him to go to the office to get my notes. I didn't know where they were. So I'm done because I'm out of notes. God says, pray. I said, why? He said, because I said so. God said, pray. I said, why? He said, because that's the avenue I have chosen to give you things. Now, if I got anything, it came from God. 52 years ago, I walked down an aisle of a Baptist church and knelt right there and said, God, I ain't much, but all I got and all I am is yours. Bang. I stood up, went to my business the very next day and gave it completely away. 22 men working in a dye tool and dye shop, three, three, uh, three, uh, working three shifts. And I bowed and gave it all to God and told them they could have the business and started the Bible college. And I've punched no man's time clock for 52 years because they that preach the gospel should live the gospel. And most of that time I've been so broke I couldn't pay attention. But God knows best. And thank God He's kept his word for 52 years, completely taking care of a Tennessee rug rat, absolutely no success at all apart from God. If I've got a car, if I've got a truck, if I've got a horse, and I do, and he's for sale. <laughs> I had a mule, and he was for sale. But he graduated and went to mule heaven here a while back. <laughs> Why should I pray? Because I don't depend on men to keep me alive. And God has chosen that avenue to provide for me and my family. Why should I pray? I want to close. Because the only way I can experience and keep the fullness of God's joy is by the avenue of prayer. Now let me give you a verse and we'll go home. Hitherto, you have asked me nothing in my name Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. When I pray, and God answers my prayer, and gives me what I'm praying for, the junk does not bring joy. It's the relationship that brings joy. Knowing that my God can do what he said he could do. Knowing that my God will do what he says he can do. These men on the platform have come to me and said, Preacher, what are we going to do in certain cases? I said, we're just going to trust God to take care of it. 
They're young. They're excited. They're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Well, I still got the pistol, but the water's gone. And if there's any squirting around here, dude, God's going to do it. The way you keep the fullness of joy is through answered prayer. I, I love that. Christians ought to be happy. And they ought to be able to show it. The things for which I pray does not bring fullness of joy. A lot of times I prayed for things that I got. I had to fix right after I got them. How many of you prayed for kids? You said, man, I'd like to take that back. <laughs> Amen. That's a good thing about being grandparents. They're grand when they come and they're grand when they leave. Could I ask you a question today? Why should you pray? Why should you pray? Because God asked you to and God told you to. Why should you pray? That's the avenue God has chosen to provide our needs. Why should I pray? Man, you can never be happier than in the prayer closet of God. When all of a sudden, holiness shows up. All of a sudden, God becomes real. Oh, you'll not get that by Mickey Mouse. Here I am, Lord, Breaker 1-9. Men ought always to pray. They that pray in secret, God shall reward openly. Amen. Our nation is, is a mess. Churches are in a mess and homes are in a mess. Let me say something that probably surprise you now. I want you to hang on to your seat because uh, it's probably going to tear your theology all to pieces just before we go. Amen. Do you know that prayer will even change the mind of God. Abraham said, Father, if you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, you're going to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And that ought not to be. Abraham is telling God, change your mind. Don't kill everybody in Sodom. What if there's 50 righteous? What if there's 30 righteous? Don't, don't, don't uh, send fire and brimstone on the righteous. And God said to Abraham, well, if you can find 50 righteous, I will not destroy Sodom. Abraham was a Baptist. He believed in the negotiation. He said, how about 30? <laughs> God said, okay. If you can find 30 righteous folks in Sodom, I will not destroy it. God said, 
I'll do that. Moses said, wait a minute, Lord, don't, don't, don't leave yet. What about 20? <laughs> what about 10? And God said, if you can find 10 righteous folks in Sodom, I'll spare the city. And they could not find 10. But if you read over a few more verses, after God had poured fire and brimstone on that wicked, ungodly place, it says, and God remembered Abraham and delivered Lot. Prayer can actually change the mind of God. Hezekiah, it's time for you to die. Hezekiah turned his face and knelt and prayed and said, Dear God, would you do something? Would you just spare me? And God said, I'll give you 15 more years. Changed God's mind and direction. Did you know that in the Bible, prayer held back the judgment of God. And it saved a nation. His name is Moses. He's bound on Mount Sinai. His brother is now dancing with the children of Israel around a golden bull, having a sex orgy, if you please. And Moses comes down off the mountain. And God told Moses, back up Moses. I'm going to kill the whole stinking crowd. And I'll make a new nation of you. What Moses said? Moses knelt and began to pray and said, God, do you remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? You promised them that you'd make of them not me, a great nation. And so I listened to what Moses said in Exodus 32. God, you need to repent of the evil that you're going to do. Glad Moses said that. I wouldn't say that. You mean walking into my daddy and said, you're wrong. Okay, I'm sorry, dad. Feel all about saying that. Lord, you don't need to do this. What will prayer do? Prayer will even change the mind of God. And you know what the Bible says two verses down? And God repented of the evil that he was going to do. And he did not wipe out that nation. He just judged that nation. Why should you pray? You know anything need to be changed? Why should you pray? Because prayer changes things. See, I don't care how sick you are, God can heal it. And you don't need dirty hands on an empty head to do it. If God should want to, he could heal the hole in every donut in town. Of course, if he did that, where would you get at donut holes? 
Why should we pray? God said so. Why should we pray? Because we like things. Why should we pray? Because we need the fullness of his joy. Amen. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Don't you like shaking the hand with somebody with a smile on their face? Quit asking Baptists how they feel. You don't have enough time. Amen. And all of God's people said, Is there any reason you can come up with today why you ought to pray?